All right. We're going to begin in just a moment. I got the thumbs up from the background, so that's good. In good shape. Praise God, and thank you for being here tonight, uh, those who are present, and uh, I've been told to do that, look back at Pat, <laughs> and those who are present, and those online, we praise God for your attendance, and uh, tonight we're continuing uh, our series on life enrichment, and we're going to Matthew chapter 7 as our first scripture this evening. Uh, let's join together, please, in a word of prayer. Most righteous, wonderful, magnificent, and awesome God, hallowed be your great and amazing name. Lord God, you make all things possible. We trust in you, and we give you our mind, our heart, our body, and our soul. We pray, Lord God, you'll bless us to love you with all of the strength and energy that we can muster up. And we thank you, Lord God, for being with us and blessing us, for keeping us and thrilling us and for transforming us and for guiding us for leading us and directing us. Thank you for all that you've done and for all that you do. Please help us as we study your word tonight. Open our minds that we might see your truth, that we might rejoice in your word, and that we might be able to take the things that we learn and are taught and apply them to our each and every day lives, and that they might lift our spirits and that we in turn might lift the spirits of others. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray and thank thee if it be thy will. Amen. So, Matthew chapter 7, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the good news is what it's called. And the good news, we'll come back to the, the gospel. We know what the gospel is, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is good news. But there's more to the good news of the gospel than just the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's really hard to say because what better news than the resurrection? But there is good news. When you think about Jesus coming in the flesh and dwelling among men, I want you to think about what God does. He gives the answer to the woes of humanity. In other words, what was it? What was the reason that we feel so bad inside? What was the reason that there's so many struggles and difficulties in life. What was the reason for all of these things? And the good news of Jesus Christ brings this message of hope to the people of God. And it's hope that we depend upon and trust in. So I want to look at Matthew chapter 7. And I want you to imagine for just a moment that you're sitting at the feet of Jesus. And whatever is going on in your day today, imagine that Jesus comes along, and he has some things to say. I want to look at about four scriptures, and let's think about Jesus and what good news he would bring to us as we sit at his feet. Matthew 7 and verse 28. The result was that when Jesus had finished these words, the multitudes were amazed at his teaching, for he is teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribe. So here comes the master teacher teaching with 
authority. Authority. He's not teaching like everyone else. Like, you know, you heard, you've heard one motivational speaker or you've heard another individual speak, but no one speaks like Jesus. And Jesus comes along after the Sermon on the Mount and they say in amazement, wow, that's good news. That, that is amazing information. The next one is Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse, verse 1. And there it says, And he went out from there, and he came into his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and the many listeners were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him and such miracles as these performed by his hands? So just at his words, they were asking the question, where did he get this doctrine? Where did he get this good news? Where did he get this message, these miracles that come along with it, the answers to societal problems? Where did Jesus get all the answers from? Where did he gain his information from? And we know he gained it from himself, the Godhead, uh, from God himself. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And the verse we'll begin at is verse 18. So imagine, again, here comes Jesus with the Sermon on the Mount and uh, the messages that he's bringing before the Sabbath day. And he's answering all of life's questions that you have on your mind, and people are amazed. And that's what the Bible does for us. The Bible, the Word of God, is the answer to all of life's problems. All of life's problems can be found, the answers can be found in the Word of God. All of life's problems. And someone has argued that not everything is in the Bible. And they would be true and correct in that statement. But in principle, everything is in the Bible, not in specific. So, since it's in principle, everything is there that we could ever look for and ever need to know when it comes to salvation and God and life and godliness. I want you to look at verse 18. Luke chapter 4 and verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all of the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all were speaking well of him and wondering at what gracious words we were, were following from his lips. And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? What wonderful words were falling from the lips of Jesus. And you say, well, all he did was quote the passage of scripture in the Old Testament. But that passage of scripture is so powerful and packed full of so much beauty that when they heard it and the way he read it, It was amazing to them. And it opened their eyes to see the great glory of God. 
Now, if you will, turn to John chapter 7. John chapter 7 and verse 45. John seven forty-five. In this text, um, officers have been sent out to get Jesus, and they're going to they're capture Jesus and bring Jesus in. But Jesus was talking. And they started listening to him. And listen to what it says in verse 45. The officers therefore came to the chief priest, chief priests and the Pharisees, and they said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, Never did a man speak the way this man speaks. The Pharisees therefore answered them, You've not also been led astray, have you? Never has a man spoken like Jesus. See, it's not just what he said. It's the way he said it. And you can imagine the expression maybe on the face of Jesus and his body movement and everything about everything he said, how it fit in so accurately and so beautifully to every word. They clung to it because it was so beautiful and so wonderful and it was truly good news. And they clung to those words. And they came back and said, we have never in our lives Heard a man speak like him. Just like Pilate. He was just mesmerized at Jesus. The Bible tells us that when, when Pilate was speaking to Jesus, he says, do you not give an answer? Don't you know I have the power to, to put you to death or keep you alive? And Jesus said, you would have no power had it not been given to you from above. And the expression that had to be on his face and the words in which he graced Pilate with, and Pilate was in amazement to listen To Jesus speak. I want to turn to Proverbs chapter 25. Proverbs chapter 25. And I really, really enjoy the book of Proverbs. But um, anyway, beginning at verse 11. Especially when it comes to communication. Like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. So imagine sitting at the feet of Jesus and you're looking for the answer to life's problems. And then Jesus starts to communicate to you and how fitting that answer is that comes into your ears. And it's spoken, not only is it spoken correctly, but it's in the right circumstance, the perfect context. And you listen, and it's it's grace. And that's what Jesus brings to us. The good news, the message of God, is the grace of God. And we just don't spend enough time reading it. And when you read it, you, you, you can't help but to explore what God really feels about His creation. And you can't help but to understand the greatness of His message, what it really holds, the good news. Yes, the death the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it's more than that. The good news is the message of God spoken to His children in every circumstance. If we'll just read it and let God open up our eyes and ears to understanding. Have you ever, may I ask this question, been in a in a very desperate moment and... You didn't know exactly where to read in your Bible, but you just you just said to yourself, I've got to read the Word. And you open it up, and then amazingly, 
something pops out and you go, wow, that's what I needed to hear, right? You ever heard a sermon and wondered if I was talking specifically to you? <laughs> or should I say the preacher is, is speaking specifically to you? I know you have. I've heard that so many times. It's happened to me where uh, I've read the Word of God and found something that was speaking directly to me. I've heard it where other preachers and teachers have spoken and it's felt like they're speaking directly to me because God's Word never goes out without accomplishing what He desires. And when we read God's Word, it's always like like this book that comes to us. It's a word spoken in right circumstances to this listening ear. It sinks down deep into our hearts and it brings good news. It's a beautiful book. Proverbs chapter 16 and the verse is 13. Righteous lips are the delight of kings and he who speaks right is loved. Righteous lips, the delight of kings. Imagine spending a day with Jesus and listening to what he has to say. Just imagine that. How beautiful, how beautiful that would be. And you know, the beauty of the relationship that we have with God today is that we can have that opportunity to sit at the feet of Jesus, just open up the Bible, Somewhere in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and begin to read. And ask God to open up your eyes and your heart to be able to receive the message that is spoken. And ask God to talk to you. Tell you what, tell you what you need to hear today. Look at Isaiah chapter 50. Lord, please give me the information that I need today to help me through this this situation that I'm involved in or, or, or through the trouble that I, I have found myself in. So Jesus is not like a, um, like a coach. Although you could say he does coach us, but he's not like a coach or an inspirational speaker that really motivates you and excites you, but rather the words that Jesus speaks are eternal. They are true. They are motivational. They are powerful, right? And you can count on every word, and you can cling to it, and hold it, and love it, appreciate it, and grow from the words that he speaks. And listen to what the prophecy says about Jesus and his words. Isaiah 50 and verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples, that I may know how to sustain the weary one with the word. He awakens my morning by morning, He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. God has the words. Jesus possessed the words to not only sustain us, but to awaken us, to arouse us, to be able to find that that creative uh, mind that God has blessed us with, to give us the strength to move on yet another day. His word has this ability to quicken us, to to strengthen us, and to give us hope, right? Hope. Turn to Titus, please. Chapter 1. Liberation occurs when you uh, read the word of God and you listen to the message of Jesus. He has never, ever forgotten anyone. And Jesus, in his word, when you read it, he values everyone, every 
single human being is valued by God. We all have a certain measure of value to the master. Humanity was, you know, we all suffered with this, was blind. But Jesus came and opened the eyes of the listeners and explained as the great physician, emotional, spiritual, the great physician has opened up the eyes of the blind and he's answered this question. Why was there so much misery in the world? We would say it generically. He said it specifically. And the answer is sin. You see, not that I have done everything and deserve everything that's come upon me. I'm not saying that. But it's the sin of the world that brings misery to the world. And Jesus came to expose the sin and to open the eyes of people to realize that, well, there's so much hatred and evil and wickedness, etc., etc., in the world because of sin. There's so much hypocrisy. There's so Sin is the culprit. I want to look at Titus chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is in accordance to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago, but at the proper time manifested even his word and proclamation with which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God, our Savior. Why does he say that Jesus, that there's this hope of eternal life in Jesus, and then he says, God cannot lie? Well, because we think of it like this, either either I don't deserve to be saved, he or she doesn't deserve to be saved, and there's no way that humanity can be saved. Why? Well, because we know there's so much sin. Right? There's sin in my life. There's sin in the lives of, of people, humanity. There's sin in this world. There's a lot of it. And this is what brings the misery to this world. Why do you think heaven will be so great? Not only is it because we're amongst the greatness of God and the glory. And I don't want to take from that or, or, or speak against that. What I'm saying to you is there's no sin in heaven. That's the one thing amongst all the other things that makes it so great. No one's going to harm you in heaven. That's the beauty and the joy of heaven. That's the good news of God, that in heaven we are under the banner or the protection of our God and in the presence of our great God. And where else would you rather be? And there's nowhere, right? Absolutely nowhere. So the good news, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verses uh, 1 through 4, the message of God, the resurrection that would seem impossible, but with God all things are possible. That is good news. Because no one could be raised or saved without the resurrection. Verse 1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance 
what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And so the question is, whatever I'm holding fast to, this resurrection, do you believe it? Do you believe in that great news that death could not hold Jesus? You see, death, that's that's the one of the issues, right? People are, are terrified of death and dying. And then someone might say, I'm not afraid of dying. I'm afraid of how I'm going to die or the suffering that often comes with dying and et cetera, et cetera. But still people in general are held captive from the fear of death. But Jesus conquered death. That's good news. Matthew, please, chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. And so he not only brought this message of hope to the world, he delivered the world through the message spoken. Verse 21. Context. The rich young ruler is the context. Verse 21. Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, Go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieved for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And when the, when the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, Then who can be saved? And looking upon them, Jesus said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. The good news, right? It's impossible. God turns an impossible into a possible, right? It's wonderful. And in Philippians 4 and verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So here are three things to focus on, to think about. When you find yourself in a, in a, in a situation of, of struggle, emotional or mental, and really this is good whether we find ourselves in this or not. This is a good practice for every Christian to have every day of our lives. The first one is find someone to serve. That's a great practice. I mean, everyone can do that, right? Children can do that uh, to adults. Find someone to serve. Service is um, something that can be done in, in you know, in, in so many different capacities, so many different ways. It doesn't have to be something great. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be money. It's just find someone to serve. Find something that you can do, that we can do, to be helpful to someone else. So find someone to serve. The second is find some time to meditate on God's Word. Find time to think about it. You know, to sit back. It's not just reading the Word, but it's also meditating on the Word. And that's in our next um, next section when we get there. Uh, of some, Find some things to do, right? And so I'm going to give you some things to do in the Scriptures. Meditating on the Word of God is such a powerful thing. To think about God's Word. When you think about God's Word, you're thinking about greatness. You're thinking about great things. Because the Word of God is great and it's perfect and powerful and uh, liberating and enriching. Think about something in God's Word. Meditate on the Word of God. The third thing is find something in your life to eliminate. There's always something you can eliminate, right? There's always something that we can say, okay, 
This is not the New Year's resolution. I'm not talking about that. Find something that you can eliminate, even if it's just for today. What can I eliminate today from my life so that tomorrow will be a better day? See, we don't hope like the world. You know, the world says, oh, I sure hope tomorrow's better. No, our hope is we think about this thing and then we do all that we can, if you will, to to gain success. But before we do that, we pray to God and believe that God can make the impossible possible. And so we have this amazing uh, ability to have true hope. And that hope is in Jesus Christ. And then finally, believe. Believe that that God can truly do it. Right? I mean, he, he can do it. Right? And, and not only can he do it, if it's according to his will, he will do it. The resurrection is a reminder of that, that he will and he can and there's nothing that Satan can do to stop it or or our enemy or our neighbor, whomever it may be. God can truly do it. So when you pray to God and you're saying, dear God, please help me, don't wake from your prayer or stand from your prayer and then just say, oh, I sure believe that he's done it already and stand up and hold your head up. Right? That's that belief and confidence, not in ourselves but the belief and confidence that we have in Jesus. And so, hope. And I want to think about the idea of help. Uh, I put this together like a, a, an acronym. I think I got this from somewhere, in fact, actually. Uh, help. Help other people excel. Right? Help other people excel in some way in their lives. So just, this is what Jesus said, and we don't have it recorded except in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 20. We don't have it recorded where he actually said it or when he actually said this. But the Apostle Paul tells us that this is what Jesus said. Therefore, we know that he said it. Verse 35 of Acts chapter 20. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So, to help other people. Excel will help you. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. On the receiving end means I have a need. On the giving end means I prosper. And so Jesus says, when you prosper, it's better that you have an opportunity to give or share with someone who has a need. And that's what God has asked us to do throughout the scriptures, to give to someone who has a need. Find someone that you can do something for. Someone that you and I, someone that we can serve. That's powerful. Now, in Philippians chapter 2, it's restated in a another way. Uh, Philippians chapter um, chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. If therefore there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship in the Spirit, if any affection and compassion... Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit and on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So think about how that text opens up. It's a, it's a conditional phrase. It's conditional, right? He opens it up by saying, by using, you know, uh, this, you know, if, if therefore there's any encouragement. Well, of course there is encouragement in our lives, in Christ. Of course there is. All right. Well, if there's any, um, 
Consolation. Of course there's consolation in Jesus Christ. Consolation of love. We know that this exists in our lives. If there's any affection, if there's any fellowship. I mean, he goes on this his condition. He goes, well, since there is, then make my joy complete. In other words, what he's saying is, I know for a fact that you can agree that God has been so, so good to you. No one can deny it. No, None of us can deny the greatness of God and how beautiful our lives are and all the stuff that we have and all the blessings that we have and our ability today to communicate, to move, to live, to have our very being. I mean, there is nothing but good to say about our day-to-day and about God, what God has done for us today. So God says, this is what I need you to do. Because you know, we know, this is true, I need you to think about something. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but consider one another or someone else as more important than yourself. Serve someone, right? Serve someone. Do something good for someone else. Stop merely looking out for yourself. See, this is one of the problems that Jesus liberated us from. You don't have to worry about yourself because God's taking care of you. You can serve other people, right? We can do that. Because God is taking care of us, and then we are taking care of others. And then Jesus says, whenever a man sows, this he shall reap. And so, if you sow good, you reap good. We don't do it for that reason or for that purpose. But the scriptures say, help other people. And when you help other people, there's this amazing, I don't even know how to explain the feeling. You know what I'm talking about. That feeling of, wow, you've done something good for someone else. That is an amazing Feeling to do something to serve other people. Well, the the converse or the opposite of that is when you're selfish and stingy. And when you're a hoarder and you just hold it in and you, you give nothing to anyone and you don't want to serve anyone and you don't want anyone to be happy and I want to keep all my joy to myself and all this to myself and only to me. That's not a happy life. The happy life is in giving. Right? So... Speaking of geography, so uh, over in Israel, well, north of Israel, the Sea of Galilee is north, and the Salt Sea, the Dead Sea, is south. And um, the Sea of Galilee is, is a f- beautiful, flourishing sea. I mean, it's it's I mean, it's gorgeous. If you look at images, you may you know Google it, and you'll see that it has many bodies of water that flow from it. It feeds so many different water systems or bodies of water. It's a beautiful, beautiful sea. And yet, that same beautiful sea flows down south to the salt sea. And what you'll notice that's different about the salt sea is it doesn't feed any other body of water. It's a taker. It just takes all the water from the Sea of Galilee, from the other bodies of water. They all flow down to the salt sea, and it, it goes nowhere. And it's a dead sea. It's a salt sea. That's the way our lives are. When we, uh, when we refuse to feed other things, other sources, other people, we just, we crumble up inside. It's more blessed to give, Jesus said, than to receive. To be just a taker. You, you know, takers, right? We all have seen them in our lives. And maybe at one time or another, we've been a taker. But to just take and just receive and take and receive, that, that doesn't make you feel as good as to be able to give. And everyone can give, right? 
Everyone can give. What did Jesus say? If you, if they ask for you, if they ask for bread, give them, give them bread. You can, we can all help someone else. There's joy, great joy in helping others. So attempt to think in your mind about, about your, your spouse, for example, that today I want to do uh, all to serve my spouse in a way that makes my spouse feel very important and very val- very valued, or maybe our children or our parents or, you know, whomever it is that we work with within, you know, its limitations and confines. You, you get what I'm saying? But we make others feel good about themselves. We work hard for the master. Find someone close to you whom you can trust and, and start, I'd say start right there. Start living a life of servitude. It's a beautiful life. And somehow, um, Satan knowing that the word service or servant would be flipped to a negative word uh, in, in the minds of humanity, he's used it in such a way to where, no, 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 don't be the servant, be the one who served. And Jesus says, see, I'm illustrating this to you through my life. I came to serve, not to be served. And the happiness and the joy that comes with servitude is amazing. And to the world, you try to explain this to the world, and and they don't get it. So we like being in power and being in charge. And Jesus says, no, no, no. It's humility. It's humility that brings true greatness. And what a beautiful thing uh, it is. Work on ways. We're going to go to Galatians um, chapter 6. Work on ways to, in this idea of service, to build others up. Right? Work on ways to build other people up. So how can I use my words today to build my spouse up? What can I say to them today that's true and honest? What can I say to them today that's from the heart that I know would make them feel really good about themselves? Even words like, thank you, right? Thank you for these things that you've done today. And be very specific when you mention the things, the items that were uh, that were done this day. Use words in a way, like Jesus did, use words in a way that are powerful and impactful. Why would God use powerful and impactful words about humanity, when you read the Word of God, and he, he builds us up, and He says, "You, you are." You know, Brother James read it a few few Sundays ago um, about how great, you know, First John chapter two, how great God sees us as. He sees us as very, very important beings. God continually uses His Word to build us up. Now, if if you aren't accustomed to serving. Start with small tasks, right? Even with our words, if you're not accustomed to coming home to your spouse um, or, or wherever it is you, you meet your spouse and saying something that's genuine and kind and, and uh, you know, beautiful, before you jump to that life-shattering Hallmark card, right, uh, use words that are from your heart that you prayed about and you thought about that come directly from God to bless you and look, don't overwhelm yourself, right? Trying to figure out what it is that you're going to say. Instead, find 
humility in your life. Find an opportunity to serve whatever it might be that you can do that's different or that you haven't done before that you know would be helpful. Why don't you do that thing for someone else? And I say start at home. That's a good place uh, to start. So Galatians chapter 6. In the in the, the realm of the spiritual, what if you know someone is, is uh, downcast, they're struggling in some way? What could you do? We could call, right? We could call and check on them or in our world today, send a text message or an email. We can communicate in some way to build them up and how important that is and what a beautiful thing that would be in the Lord's church that we use our ability to communicate, though distant, um, using a telephone or, uh, uh, you know, some kind of device to communicate and build someone else up, right? Isn't that kind of what social media has done? It's kind of, you know, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous, though. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I've seen it where, you know, oh, look, I made a sandwich today, and someone, you know, good job. Good job on your sandwich. It's like, come on, that's not genuine at all. But rather, something that's true, something that's real, and that's impactful. Galatians 6, beginning at verse 1. Brethren, if any man is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one look into yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Understand that God is saying, before you attack something that's big, and huge. Maybe, maybe I'm not spiritual enough to handle this situation. But I can help my brother or sister bear their burden. But first you've got to look to yourself and say, wait, let's look to myself first and make sure that I have the ability in Christ to help sustain or lift up uh, our brother or sister in whatever way. But the Bible makes it clear. It's not just about going out and helping a person to come out of sin. But it's helping to bear the burden for each other, right? And right now we're in a very burdensome time and, and some are struggling more than others through this time. And all of us are struggling in some way, but some are struggling more than others. And so when you know of someone who's really struggling, if you have that inside knowledge of that individual struggle, then maybe as you pray about it and think about it and ask God to help you to know, God, what can I do? All of us can do something. And we can't do it all, but we each can do something and make sure that we are there to help bear each other's burdens and lift each other up. And notice the verse says that this fulfills the law of Christ. Right? This is what we do as Christians. This is what we do. We help each other. We uh, hold each other up. You know, you look at the um, the beauty of, of of ants. I know you watch ants build bridges, right? And they just, they build bridges and they hold each other's, you know, they hold their, I don't even know if I forget now the correct terminology for the anatomy of an ant, but, you know, they hold on to each other and they build bridges. And they, they help each other and everyone has a job and they're all busy and they're always busy. And even Proverbs, I think, chapter 6 says, observe the ant. You know, look at the ant, no chief. No, no, I mean, everybody works together to get the job done, accomplished. And in Christ, we ought to be like the ants, where we work together to get the job done, right? Helping each other. Romans chapter, chapter 15, beginning at, um, beginning at verse 1. Now we who are strong, 
ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Let each one of us please his neighbor for his good to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach thee fell upon me. Now, it's an interesting verse that it starts out with because it begins with with an inventory, right? A self-inventory. You who are strong, we who are strong are to bear the weaknesses of those without strength. And then you step back for a moment and say, well, wait a minute. You know, I'm not, I'm not that strong spiritually. I'm not as strong as I like to be today. And, and you know it's true that there are days when, you know, you feel stronger and other days you feel a little weaker spiritually, more challenged. Um, there are times for, for married folk when, you know, the husband's strong today and maybe he's not so strong tomorrow, but the wife is really strong tomorrow and, and you work together as a team and it's a beautiful and an amazing thing. When we think about strength, we, we have to think about reliance upon God and thinking about how can I use what God has given me to bless someone else? How can I use what God has given to me to bless someone else for their good and for their edification? And I don't always have the words, but I know where they can be found. Right? I mean, it's very easy to judge everybody, everyone else, right? That's easy. But how much, how much easier would it be if we get into the habit of edifying each other, building each other up, always trying to find that kind word for someone else? And then when the day comes when I need the strong word, God makes it very clear that that strong word will come back to us, right? And so if we live our lives in such a way, in service, in service to God first, in service to our brothers and sisters in Christ, what a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing that is. I want to give you one scripture in closing, and then we're going to come right back, Hebrews uh, chapter, chapter 4, and then we're going to come back next week, and we're going to answer this challenge, challenging question. And it's in verse 15 and verse 16, Hebrews chapter 4. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. Just, I want to focus on verse 15. Let me read 15 again. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are. Question. Do you believe that verse to be true? This is what I want to focus on next week. I want to focus on, on this concept. Do you believe when you go to God in prayer or as you're trying to live your life for Christ, and you find yourself weak in certain situations and tempted and agonizing 
in suffering and maybe in depression or in some kind of pain or grief? Do you think, do you believe the scripture to be true? I know we say generically we believe the Bible to be true, but do you believe the scripture to be true when the Bible says Jesus was tempted in every way? In other words, he knows exactly what you are going through because he's truly been there. Do you believe that? That's our question. And we'll come back, Lord willing, and we'll look at this thought, this concept, and uh, try to gain an answer that I already know you know the answer to, but I want us to look at it, and let's think about it just a little bit. Uh, tonight, we just want to encourage you to remember, serve other people, right? Serve other people for your good. Right, and for their good as well. Thank you for your time tonight. I appreciate it. God bless each and every one of you. Have a wonderful, wonderful evening. Thank you.